Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. The Twitter file dumps have proven big tech in conjunction with big government really went to town on people, information, ideas, facts, and truths that were inconvenient to their leftist narrative and agenda. But what happened when Big Pharma was added into the mix is the most messed up, corrupt, and most concerning twist yet. And I've got Anthony Brian Logan on deck to sound off on it all. The show starts now. So by now, we know old Twitter played a massive role in influencing elections through censorship, selective algorithms, and more. And yeah, that's a big problem with big consequences, clearly. But as bad as that is, you know what's worse? The way Twitter rigged the COVID debate. So yeah, now you take the big tech and big government thing and you add in the interests of big pharma, and what do you get? An America that looks, sounds, and feels more like a freaking lab experiment than a free nation, and this went on for two years plus. Let's just let this sink in. Twitter worked with the White House and our federal protection agencies to censor information that was true but inconvenient to the U.S. government policy, discredit doctors and other experts who disagreed, and suppress ordinary users, including some sharing the CDC's own data. Am I surprised? Hell no, I'm not surprised. I'm pissed off. People went and got multiple experimental shots in the arm thanks to this BS, and some of those people will be scarred for life because of it. And there's really no consequences here? Nothing for no one? The White House orchestrated much of this, and that's all fine and dandy to some of you? Are you kidding me? If President Donald Trump called for doctors or even journalists to be censored or banned from Twitter for going against his narrative, y'all would have impeached him for that too. When the hell will Joe Biden have to pay the piper? It's not only that all this happened that pisses me off, it's that there is no price to pay for those who did it. Some people at Twitter lost their jobs, that's it. Where is the government, the White House, accountability for this? And I wanna know, will Republicans have the guts to do it? Talky talk talk time is over, do something. Up next, we can appreciate Elon's Twitter 2.0 and all of its free speech glory, but not before we get to the bottom of the COVID censorship happening at Twitter 1.0 and what sleepy Joe Brandon had to do with it. Anthony Brian Logan is here to react to it all. Next. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. So there's a lot about COVID we may never know, but even with just a scratch of the surface, we know this. The federal government wanted us scared, wanted us to remain scared, wanted us to mask mask up, and most importantly, vax up, regardless if it was or is safe or not. 
Now, a couple of months ago, even hinting at that, at what I just said, that would have gotten me thrown off Twitter, or at the very least, flagged and throttled. I'm not guessing that. We know that. Thanks to the latest dump of Twitter files, we know, quote, dissident yet legitimate content was labeled as misinformation and accounts of doctors and others who were suspended, including two I've had on this very show, both for tweeting opinions and demonstrably true information. And the censorship didn't start or end with doctors. There were journalists who pose and still pose a big threat to the government pushed and big pharma subsidized COVID narrative, especially as related to those beloved mRNA vaccines. Friend of the show, Alex Berenson, was actually so dangerous to the narrative, Joe Biden himself wanted him quieted. Allow me to read this from thread eight of the file dump. Quote, when the Biden administration took over, one of their first meeting requests with Twitter executive was on COVID. The focus was on anti-vaxxer accounts, especially Alex Berenson. Here with his reaction, political commentator, Anthony Brian Logan. All right, Anthony, let's talk about this latest Twitter file dump. I have to say I'm not surprised. I think we all knew this was happening. But do you think for the average American out there that isn't a conservative, who isn't a COVID skeptic, do you think this is going to make any difference in their mind, the way they look at all of this and all the narrative spinning that's happened over the last several years? I'm not really sure it will, because the regular person that's out there just walking and talking going to the grocery store, going to work. They're not really keyed into the internet like that. When they do see anything about politics, they're watching the regular mainstream media. And for the past two years, it's been be scared, stay in your house, don't go anywhere. I, when I was on the airplane the other day, people are still putting masks on their children. After they came out and said, that's not really gonna make a difference, it's facial decoration, they still don't get it because of the constant brainwashing. So if you're not really keyed into the internet, you might not even see the Twitter files at all, let alone understand it. Now it's one thing when the Twitter files are about censoring conservatives, censoring Donald Trump, censoring election content, the Hunter Biden laptop. That's one thing that I get that the average American might not really care about because they don't think it's applicable to their life. But when it comes to COVID, though, and how much work was done to quiet doctors and scientists who had information that was contrary to the leftist narrative, you'd think the average American would care about that because these doctors are not necessarily conservative doctors. In fact, in some cases, quite the opposite. They're just doctors who said, hey, this isn't right here. Do you think that that, if people understood it and even knew about it, do you think that would make a difference in how people respond to COVID policy as it stands today? Well, I think that it most certainly should because if you have doctors, actual medical professionals that are saying, hey, there were some things that was going on. There was some censorship. We were not allowed to have our voices be heard. We have information. We're out here in the field treating patients. That should make a difference. But again, going back to the constant, I mean, a lot of people are just demoralized. It doesn't matter who comes and says anything to them. You could have Biden himself come and say, hey, don't put the mask on. Don't get the vaccine. They're not going to believe him, although they believed in him for two years. They're not going to believe it now because in their mind, they're brainwashed to believe whatever they've been told for the past couple of years. So it should matter. But will it? I'm not really sure. I think everything is coming to a head right now, not only with what we're finding out about censorship and the throttling of free speech, but also when it comes to children, when it comes to this gender dysmorphia, the they, thems, the non-binary. I mean, this stuff is becoming mainstream now where you have young kids who don't even know what the hell they are. Now, I think the motivation behind all of this is because we're a lot easier to control when we don't know who we are or what we are. But what do you think is behind this big push? Because it's happening in mainstream media, it's happening in Hollywood, it's happening academia. It's certainly happening on Twitter and other social media platforms. 
Why are they doing this to our kids? Well, I think the end game is pretty obvious. Anybody that kind of looks at it just a little bit further into the future, not necessarily right now, but a little bit further into the future, you got to ask yourself the question, why do we have children, little kids going to drag queen shows where these men are nude or implied nudity? Why are they putting money into these men's garter belts? Well, I mean, it's obvious. They want to groom these kids to become like them or to go to the ultimate stage of not having it really be a big issue to have a fully grown man involved with a young person, underage person. This That's disgusting. It's despicable. It should never happen anywhere in the world. But I think that's their actual goal to normalize that kind of thing. And if you think anything different, then you're a bigot and you are an, uh, a transphobe and an agephobe. That is their ultimate goal, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I think it is as well. And it's really mainstreaming all of this so that anybody who speaks out against it is labeled, as you said, even when it's so bizarre and it's so off the rails that any average person is probably thinking there's a problem here. But I, I wonder, because when we look at the midterm elections, obviously it was not the red wave that we expected. It was more of a pink splash. But when you look at certain races in certain parts of the country, even going back to Virginia and what happened there with parents really standing up and getting Yunkin elected, I think that there is an underbelly or an undercurrent of the American people who aren't necessarily conservative, but they believe in things like freedom. They believe in parental rights and basic decency. And I wonder if we as Republicans and conservatives can do a better job of tapping in to that group of people? And if so, what do you think we need to do to reach them? Well, that's a really good point you brought up about uh, Virginia. You know, that's where I'm from originally. And I was kind of surprised about uh, Glenn Youngkin winning because, you know, Virginia really controlled by D.C., metropolitan area, what they call the DMV. That's one third of the state's population in that one small area, northern Virginia. They pretty much control Virginia politics. So I was very surprised. But the thing about Glenn Youngkin is that he's just a, a normie kind of guy pocket protector, kind of just maybe even a little bit nerdy, just a regular everyday Joe. That's what it's going to take to get the middle of the road kind of people. The more bombastic figures I like, and a lot of my friends like them, but that's not going to get you the middle of the road kind of guys that don't like Trump. They don't like the more sensational politicians. They want a regular everyday dude that'll fight for them and what they want. That's what they want. And you got to have that kind of guy to get in there and make things happen to get everyone involved. Yeah, I think you need a good hybrid of the two. You need somebody that's willing to fight. I don't think we can ever go back to the McCain-Romney days, but you do need somebody that's palatable to the majority of Americans. So I want to ask you going into 2024, but even before that, I want to ask you about certain names and if you think that they have a future or not. Now, I've thought a lot about Carrie Lake, and I really liked Carrie Lake. I really wanted her to win. I personally feel, though, now that her fighting for this election integrity, her using the words like rigged election, whether it was or not, I feel like she has shot herself in the foot and she has left the mainstream so much at this point that I don't think that she's going to be electable for a major office again anytime soon. What's your take on the pulse of Carrie Lake and people like her? I agree with you 100%. Um, I like Carrie Lake as well, but again, you got to be the person that can get the middle of the road kind of people because most people are going to vote how they've been voting for a long time. They're going to vote Democrat. They're going to vote Republican, but you want to get the middle. That's what's going to decide an election. And if you want to have the more bombastic kind of thing that appeals to more of the solid conservative people, you don't get them that way. So her future is not really existent unless she pivots and kind of goes back to the center. But anybody that wants to have any kind of success, you got to go to the center. 
And if you don't, you just won't have any, you won't be able to win in a place like Arizona. It's like maybe California. Maybe you win in West Virginia where I was born. Maybe you win in North Dakota or somewhere. Shout out to your, uh, your particular neck of the woods. But um, Arizona, California, New York, Illinois, forget about it. Yeah, I think that's going to be the struggle for a lot of people. And it's really, to me, frustrating because I do think election integrity and looking into what happened in Arizona, I do think it's important. It's not talking about a rigged election, but talking about things that did happen that were just unacceptable that need to be fixed the next go around. Unfortunately, though, when you say the election is rigged, it was stolen from me, you lose a lot of people and you lose a lot of the conversation. And that's really frustrating because I really liked Carrie Lake. But I say the much of the same thing about Donald Trump, who I also am a big supporter of and also would love to see him be president again. But the more he focuses on vendetta and revenge, I think the more he's going to lose the average American. So my last question for you is going into 2024, we've only got one person that has announced so far, and that is Donald Trump. Are you hoping we see an announcement from Ron DeSantis anytime soon? Yes, hopefully he does. Um, I was saying this the other day. I think DeSantis is at his term limit, really, because in Florida, you cannot run more than eight years in the 12 year period. So he can't run the next time. He can't be the governor again after this term. So you might as well run right now. Strike while the iron is hot. You're well loved in Florida, loved across the country. You're 44 years old. You're a young man compared to Trump. I love Trump. If he ran and he got a nomination, not vote for him again. But he's 76 right now. He'll be 78 in 2024, 82 at the end of his second term. I think it's unfair to require him to run. And the whole election fraud thing, that's not really palatable. You got to put in DeSantis. He's going to be the guy. He'll win. It'll be, it, it won't even be a contest. You put in Gavin Newsom, it doesn't really matter who you put against him. He'll succeed. But Trump will most certainly struggle. It's unfortunate, but that's the reality of the situation in which we live. Yeah, it is. And I really hope that those Trump loyalists out there will understand that Donald Trump was a fantastic president. He put in his time. He did a lot for this country. But that doesn't mean that we are beholden to a certain man or a certain anybody. We have to be beholden to our values and the person that's going to best represent those and be electable to get into office to represent those values and put them in motion. So I hope that we can come to some kind of a consensus as a party and doing what's best for this country, because that to me is what's most important. But thank you for being with me today. A very happy new year. And uh, boy, this next year, if it's anything like this past year, is going to be something to talk about for better or for worse. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Up next, he fought the tyrannical pandemic lockdowns in deep blue New Jersey to keep his gym open. And now a new study shows exercise may have been the answer to prevent COVID deaths all along. Color us shocked. Fitness entrepreneur and author Ian Smith joins me next. Well, folks, get a load of this. Getting more exercise cuts the risk of severe COVID. You don't say so, hmm, perhaps shutting gyms down for months or even years on end while enticing people to stay home and order Uber Eats wasn't all about health and public safety after all. I'm shocked, really. And I have a feeling my next guest shares in my sarcastic shock, being that he fought tooth and nail against New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy's tyrannical lockdowns to keep his gym open. Joining me now is former owner of Attila's Gym in New Jersey, author of the brand new book, Find Your Hill, Ian Smith. Ian, it's great to talk to you. <laughs> you are shocked. Yeah. Uh, now they're coming out with all this. You know, but Ian, they want COVID amnesty now. That's the whole thing. The lockdowns were a mistake. The masks were a mistake. They still haven't admitted that vaccines were a mistake. But now they're starting to say maybe we shouldn't have forced people to stay home for months or even years on end. And maybe people should have been, I don't know, on the beach, in parks, at gyms. 
What do you make of all this? And do you plan to give them COVID amnesty? Um, there will be not an inch of COVID amnesty, you know, for, for people who were fooled uh, and people who, who believed in it, um, you know, sort of, and unwillingly went along with it, they get COVID amnesty, but the people that shoved COVID down our throat, the media, the politicians, the big corporations, uh, the entertainers, none of them get COVID amnesty. Um, you know, this is infuriating because this isn't this isn't a groundbreaking study. These aren't these aren't revelations uh, that they just sort of stumbled upon. This isn't new science. You know, uh, Tommy, I imagine you're somewhere around my age. When I was in health class in third grade, I learned that exercise and eating right would keep me healthy and boost my immune system. You know, back in back when health class was health class and not gender studies. You know, these are things that we learned. This was well established coming into 2020. These people knew this and now they're going to try to play the game like it was some mistake stake like they like they were acting in our best interests when it was very clear that masking was not in our best interest that lockdowns were not in our best interest uh that vaccine mandates were not in our back uh, in in our best interest and and in fact it negatively impacted most of the country in some way or another and you incurred a lot a lot of money in fines because you chose to keep your gym open i mean i remember that saga and you know when i talk to people about the covid era if you will a lot of people have conveniently forgotten what these tyrants did to us i was just talking to my family over the holidays about remember in michigan when they shut down the toy aisle in certain stores that were deemed essential because they didn't want people in lawn garden they didn't want people in the toy section i mean this is how tyrannical it was america did not look like america but now that things are mostly back to normal at least in some places now people have conveniently forgotten all of this and they didn't make these politicians these tyrants pay during the midterm elections and that i guess is something that is really surprising to me i thought that the greatest tyrants of them all the gretchen whitmers the gavin newsoms the others i thought that they would have to pay for what they did but not even a little bit are you surprised you know, I have my doubts about the integrity of our election systems to start, you know, but it, the fact that these people have any support at all whatsoever is, is beyond me. You know, I, I did not think that Phil Murphy was going to walk back in, um, you know, but then again, I blame the GOP for weak messaging. Also, you know, these people were afraid to fight back. Most of the GOP was afraid to really fight back other than a couple mean tweets about COVID. And these people didn't champion that idea. So as soon as people, you know, the, the majority of Americans got their freedoms back. They just ran to 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 get them back. And it, it it fades in the distance very quickly if you weren't really personally affected like some people were. And I think it's really scary that we forget this uh, or that we're kind of letting it go, you know, because these were not mistakes that were made. You know, COVID is a crime scene. COVID is not a series of mistakes and fumbles by the United States government. Um, our government, as we know now with the Twitter files, um, and we knew all along that our government was in cahoots with big corporations um, and mainly Pfizer, Moderna and all these all these big, um, big pharmaceutical companies that made out like bandits. Uh, all of our major politicians made out like bandits. And um, and then they're on to the next thing. They're on to Ukraine and the next thing. Um, and I think that's kind of why people um, forget about it so quickly, because the news cycle just swallows things whole. Well, you and I don't forget about it because you and I were some of the most vocal people at the start of this that said two weeks to flatten the curve. That sounds like a load of crap to me. It's never going to be two weeks. They're never going to give us our freedoms back if we give them away so readily. And so many people did because they were scared. They thought that the government was going to protect them from this virus. So for me, I think looking back, 
at people like you and me, they were tweeting about locking down, how that was wrong, how remote learning was wrong, about how keeping the economy shut down was going to hurt more people than it helped, about the masks, about the vaccines. I mean, we were looked at, you and I and people like us were looked at like we were murderers, like we wanted people to die. I mean, there was a lot of shame that came along with it. There still is to some degree. But looking back, I don't know if we're ever going to get an apology or ever even an acknowledgement that we were right 99% of the time on the things we were saying. Yeah, no, there you, I wouldn't hold your breath for any apology, not from any of these people. And even from, from, you know, from the people that, that bought into the narrative and were the, the COVID Karens, you know, I, I had this, um, it, it was when the mask mandates came off at the airport and, you know, I traveled all through COVID uh, and I fought tooth and nail and got banned from airlines, not being, uh, uh, not wearing a mask. And when those mask mandates came off, you know, I was, I was in the airport, uh, you know, enjoying the fact that there was people's faces, but I realized that, you know, probably half of these people uh, a week earlier would have been like screaming and foaming at the mouth. And they just kind of conveniently forget that they completely lost all sanity and treated their fellow Americans with, um, just the, the utmost disrespect and disdain for no reason. It wasn't valid. Um, and they're just gonna, they're just gonna go on to the next thing, you know, and, and wave their virtue signaling flag on the, on the next hill that's manufactured by the media for them. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent correct. But I'm also surprised at the number of people that I still see wearing masks. And I would maybe understand it if they were the elderly, but they're not. There are people in their 20s, college kids. They are the ones that are by and large wearing the masks. I just traveled over the holidays, the people wearing masks, not the elderly, not those that look like they could be vulnerable, but young kids in their 20s that have been taught, that have been conditioned, that somehow they are protecting themselves and others, often wearing their mask around their chin. So I wonder, is there hope for the kids that grew up during the COVID era that were really conditioned with this? Are they going to be stuck with this forever? We know the generational learning loss that's going to be felt because of remote learning. But I wonder, this psychological conditioning, I don't think it's going anywhere for a lot of these kids. You know, that was one of the concerns that uh, a lot of people were very vocal about. I remember, uh, you know, seeing you talk about it. I talked about it. The fact that, you know, these kids are not only are they losing out on their education and their their ability to socialize and all these really important developmental stages, you know, through childhood and, and young adulthood. Uh, but they were also being conditioned to be these sort of like obedient um, just subservient citizens um, who don't question anything. You know, you tell these these kids to jump, they say how high, as long as it's in the name of of some virtuous uh, task that they don't really need to be a part of. And that's, you know, it's a it's like a perfect storm of, of the trophy generation and, and uh, the victimhood and mediocrity that has sort of infested our culture um, with this idea that all they have to do is, you know, put a Ukrainian flag up or put a mask on and all of a sudden they're a good guy and they've done something of value, you know, but these kids are not learning to actually put in any real work for any of these causes that they claim to believe in. And I think that's something that's going to continue. Uh, you know, I, I did a, a lot of work with Turning Point USA during the election cycle, and I saw uh, the inner workings of uh, of Rutgers and, and a lot of these other schools. And these kids are being subjected to so much propaganda that uh, it's going to be very hard to break them out of it. You know, the 
the the young kids that we that we deal with who are voters who are you know heavy democrat voters now um are bad enough but the kids coming up as children now who are going through the uh the elementary school system as it now stands are going to be even worse you know and if 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 we're going to take control of this country and and sort of course correct you know we really need to be focusing on um educating these children to think uh to question authority you know to do all of these things that are typically american values before the you know the past couple of years um standing up for what they believe is is what is right and speaking their mind and 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 uh, not just rushing to um sort of the nearest uh thing that they're outraged about but actually have something that they're passionate in yeah that's the thing is it's a lot of faux outrage and they're told what to be outraged about but uh, in in finishing up our COVID discussion then i have some other things i want to talk to you about i want to know what you think the motivation for all that was i'll tell you what i think it is and and you can tell me if you agree or not i think that everything under donald trump was going so well the economy was going so well unemployment rates were down the american people were thriving we were thriving as a nation both at home and abroad and i think there had to be something to make it all collapse. There had to be a thing that really ruined Donald Trump and COVID was that thing because before COVID, Donald Trump, his approval was high. Even if people didn't wanna admit it, they liked what was happening in our country. COVID came along, we shut everything down, the economy went in the toilet, old people were dying and people were angry and they took it out on Donald Trump at the ballot box and in other, other ways as well. But I think that that was largely a motivation for a lot of this COVID fear porn that was pushed and it was mass produced in the media and by Democrat tyrants. What's your take on the motivation behind it? You know, I agree with you entirely. And I would just sort of elaborate on that. You know, I was one of these people, uh, a new business owner. You know, we had just opened a Tillis gym nine months earlier. Uh, it seemed like everybody was enjoying the country under, under Donald Trump. People had more money in their pockets. There was this feel good sense of nationalism. Uh, there was this idea that we were sort of making progress, that we were we were sort of regaining our footing as like America, a virtuous country, um, you know, not America, world police. There were no new wars started. Uh, Donald Trump talked about the dangers of globalism, you know, Americans were really taking pride in their country. Um, and on top of that, you know, um, I think that this was another wealth transfer. You know, this is just another way to sort of further the agenda of big government to make people uh, less sort of rugged and, and self-sufficient. You know, um, part of the reason that uh, that this country is so great is that we have a, a social ladder uh, and that social ladder is um, is is propped up by entrepreneurship and small business. Um, and they came in and they decimated small businesses and at the same time allowed all of the business um, that that goes to small business, that, that puts money not only into the hands of people in the community, but back into that community as well. And they let big corporations swallow it all whole. We saw the, the profits of, of major corporations double to the tunes of hundreds of billions of dollars for each one of them. Um, and then once those businesses are destroyed, they don't, it, it, they don't just grow back magically, you know. Every time a corporation grows bigger and, and small businesses dies, it gets harder to be a small business. And I think they 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 really knew that that was going to happen um, because they love they love working with Amazon. They can work with one business that they know is going to listen to them, that, it, that they know is going to implement whatever mandate or policy or regulation. And they know that small businesses won't do that. And that there's hundreds and thousands of them that they'll have to wrangle up together. So it's much easier in big government's eyes to work with Amazon, Walmart and a couple other big corporations 
corporations once they've decimated the middle class, um, because then you have your corporate fascism, which we know, you know, big government always leads in that direction. They want to cooperate with, you know, rich and powerful entities to make sure that they stay in power. And, you know, I think at the heart of it, this was meant to kneecap the middle class um, and to allow them the room to, to continue to grow as the ever expanding United States government does to where people are um, are unable to sort of pull themselves up by the bootstraps anymore because your your window of opportunity for um, for empowering yourself is closing. And the opportunities that most people have rely on big corporations. And we saw how that worked out with vaccine mandates. Right. Um, you know, who knows where that goes in the future when they whenever the next thing is that they tell you you have to do. And we saw the shift in mentality as well. I remember when the lockdowns first happened, people were itching to get to work. They wanted to go back to work. They were really nervous about not being at work. And then slowly but surely, they got really used to staying at home and getting money from the government. And that's when that shift occurred. And now we have worker shortages and the Democrats are so befuddled as to how that happened. Well, you got people addicted to government and then now people are still addicted to government and they will be addicted to government until we pull out the rug from underneath of them, which unfortunately is going to be a hard fall for a lot of people. Last thing I want to talk to you about, because you are into fitness and because you are a former gym owner, I know that this is really important to you. Besides all the COVID stuff, there's something also happening in our culture, and it's a little thing called fat positivity, and it's getting worse. OK, so now we've got a lot of popular culture really glorifying the obese. Now, as a woman, I'll say this. I don't think it's good to glorify the stick thin, the edited, the face tuned, the face apt. I don't think that that's healthy in any way, shape or form. However, this new trend of fat positivity, I think that that might be just as dangerous. And I want to get your thoughts on the way that this cultural shift is headed. It's it's actually, you know, it's more dangerous because the you know, the. There's a whole, you know, I agree with you. You don't want the uh, the extreme on the opposite end. But, um, you know, this just plays into this culture of mediocrity. You know, that government government doesn't want people to excel because people who excel in life, who are in shape, uh, who have their head straight, who are well educated outside of the halls of academia and are self-taught and inquisitive people who are financially sort of sound. Um, when you can do all of those things, you can tell government to get lost when they tell you to do something. You know, when you're fat um, and your government's just telling you, like, don't worry, just eat another box of Cheez-Its. You're fine. You're beautiful that way. Uh, and they sing that song along with like corporations and media. You know, they, they don't care about you. You are a, a cash cow to them at that point because you're always going to be sick. You're always going to be consuming pharmaceuticals. You're always going to need some sort of treatment or medication. You know, 75 percent of Americans take at least one pharmaceutical drug. You know, that's pretty scary. Um, and that number increases, you know, of, of people who take multiple. And a lot of this stuff can be remedied by being in good physical shape. And that doesn't mean being big and muscular. It means being in good shape cardiovascularly, you know, keeping a, a low percent of body fat, but also eating well. You know, our government doesn't do anything. They didn't do it during COVID. They didn't do it before COVID. Um, and it allows them to make a controllable population. You know, when you're fat and tired, um, you're not going to be fighting back against any sort of injustice against you. You're not going to be able to get off the couch. Um, but they'll just tell you that you're beautiful and big and you should just get bigger um, and not care about yourself and not take care of yourself because who's going to come take care of you? Of course, you know, don't worry. Big government's here to save you. Yeah. And I think my favorite part to tie all of this together was during the covid era when I would see people who would wear that wear that mask all day long, but they would never maybe eat healthy. They would never actually work out. But if the government told them the mask was going to keep them safe and healthy, they thought that was the key. 
Ian, thank you so yeah. much for being here and for sharing all the things that you went through. Continue to speak the truth on social media, and I will continue to follow. And congratulations on the new book as well. I know you've got big things ahead. We always appreciate you being a patriot in the Freedom Corner. Thank you very much. All right. Still ahead. Thousands of flights canceled and thousands stranded at airports. But don't worry. Mayor Pete is on the case, and he's vowing a really stern talking to. My final thoughts are next. Thousands of flights canceled, thousands of people stranded in airports waiting to be rebooked. God knows when with their luggage, God knows where. It's a giant mess. And this isn't the first time or the second time or even the third time this has happened in the last year either. It's time for final thoughts. Southwest has canceled over 9,000 flights and counting 3,000 canceled Monday, 2,600 canceled yesterday, almost 3,000 today, and over 1,500 are already expected to be canceled on Thursday. It's a freaking mess as passengers who already missed Christmas with their loved ones are now hoping to get somewhere, anywhere, by 2023. But what is to blame, you ask? Well, it's a tale as old as time. Airlines cancel flights and then blame it on weather, whether or not there's weather or not. Yeah, there was bad weather late last week, but no, you can't continue to blame weather when other airlines are flying to and from those same destinations. I mean, I know some Americans have been conditioned to be rather oblivious in these last few years, but we aren't that stupid. No, there's something else brewing over there at Southwest Airlines, and it stinks. But don't worry, y'all. The former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, is on the case, and he's an angry elf. Tell Southwest is unable to locate even where their own crews are, let alone their own passengers, let alone baggage. Uh, so uh, I conveyed to the CEO our expectation that they are going to go above and beyond to take care of passengers and to address this. Uh, they indicated a number of issues that they're having with uh, systems, uh, legacy systems for managing uh, their, their schedule and where their crews are. Uh, but the bottom line is uh, the rest of the aviation system has been on the road to recovery since the worst days of the storm going into Friday of last week. As of today, as I'm looking at the different airlines, most of them are in the low single digits in terms of cancellation rates, uh, averaging, averaging about 5% for all of the other airlines. Uh, for Southwest right now, we appear to be north of 70%. So th their system uh, really has completely melted down. And I've made clear that uh, our department will be holding them accountable for their responsibilities to customers, uh, both to get them through this situation and to make sure that this can't happen again. Can't happen again? Isn't that what you said the last four freaking times this happened? Maybe your rough and tumble talking to's aren't doing the trick there, partner. But boy, wouldn't it be nice if the buffoons of the Biden administration cared as much about passengers stranded in airports and then gouged to get home as they did about forced face diapering in between bites? Yeah, that'd be the day. And no, the airlines themselves are not blameless in this. They've received over $54 billion in COVID bailout money from We the People. And apparently that's not enough to figure out their issues, which are not rocket science, given weather has been a freaking issue for air travel since the beginning of air travel. So what else could all this be? Well, let's not forget the pilot, flight attendant, and ground crew shortages these airlines are still grappling with, thanks to two things. Government incentivized unemployment benefit laziness and a COVID vaccine mandate that's still wreaking havoc on flight crews and pilots. Yeah, the friendly skies aren't so damn friendly when your pilot worries about keeling over in the air thanks to myocarditis or other vaccine side effects. 
This is all a man-made disaster, and yet no entity that contributed to said disaster will be held accountable. No, people will just suck it up, shell out big bucks to make it home one way or another, and then in a couple of months, the same damn thing will happen again, and Pete will go back on TV and vow tough consequences. We the people are tired. We're just tired. But on the bright side for Biden's non-binary nuclear waste czar thingy, there's plenty of ladies' luggage for it to choose from at the airport of they-them's choice. And those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.